If you have your Bibles, you can turn them with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, if you do not have a Bible, if you could slip up your hand and I'll make sure that someone gets one over to you. And if you don't even own a Bible, you can actually have that as as our gift to you. So don't be shy because we have lots. Luke chapter 2. And we're going to start at verse 8 and read on down through verse 20. Word of God says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold... I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge this is not a cartoon. This is not a fairy tale. This is not fiction. This is real. This is history. This actually happened. And what happens here in this story affects every single person in this room. And Father, I pray that as we continue our service, as the word is preached, Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say to us this Christmas Eve. I pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. I pray that you would help us receive the word with joy, with gladness, and with delight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody likes a good arrival, don't they? I mean, when you go over to someone's house, you either get there fashionably late or fashionably early or whatever you might consider as fashionable. But you show up with looking good. You want to, um, if you're supposed to bring something, you're supposed to bring something nice. And everyone likes a good arrival. We, we, our society demands that you arrive in a certain way when you go someplace. And, for example, Hollywood. What, what do they roll out, kids, before the Oscars? It says they roll out the red what? The carpet. And, and the TV stations go nuts. As a matter of fact, there's some TV stations that spend hours just broadcasting people arriving at an awards event. Just showing up. That's how much we like arrivals, right? Roll out the red carpet, people come in, and they want to see everybody arrive. And, of course, when the president arrives somewhere, they, they play a song, you know, 
hail to the chief or something like that. And they play this song. Or maybe he arrives in Air Force One and he comes out and he waves at all the people as he steps out of the opening of the airplane there. It's a majestic arrival. Important people, right? Actors, famous people, presidents. Important people should arrive in style, shouldn't they? Well, how much more should we expect for the arrival of the king of kings? Yet, Jesus' arrival on the scene isn't like what the world expects. That's why so many people missed it. It isn't what we would call triumphant. It isn't what we would call spectacular. It isn't what we would write up if, if, if God were to come to you and say, I need you to script the arrival of my son. Oh, we'd come up with great plans. You know, we decorate the place awesome and, oh, yes. But Jesus, God, had a very different prescription for his arrival on the scene. The greatest arrival of any person in the history of the world was the arrival of Jesus Christ. I want to look at this passage here uh, this evening just for a, a few seconds here. Not, I don't want to take too long, but just break it down a little bit here. And let's look at what happens in this text and the awesome story of the arrival of Jesus Christ. First of all, like I said, when important people arrive someplace, they want to have a good audience, don't they? They want the press to be there. They want the important dignitaries to be there. So who's the audience here? Who's here to receive Jesus? Who's the ones that get told about the arrival of the king? You know, of all the people God have sent, could have sent his angels to, to announce the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah, the arrival of the one who had been promised from long ago, the arrival of the Redeemer, the arrival of His own Son, Jesus, of all the people. God didn't choose the Jewish royalty. He didn't choose Roman majesties. He didn't choose the religious authorities. Instead, He chose lowly nobodies. 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 The lowest in society were the audience for the arrival of the king of kings. Luke 2.8 says, And in that same region there were some shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Shepherds were pretty despised individuals in Jesus' day. The status of shepherd had fallen pretty far. In the Old Testament, shepherds are given pretty good status. I mean, Abraham himself was a shepherd. And matter of fact, having large flock was, flocks was a consideration of your wealth. And so shepherds... Abraham was a wealthy, well-known, well-respected shepherd. And the, the people who came from the line of Abraham, the Jewish people, they were shepherds. Remember when Joseph has them come, has his whole family come back to, to Egypt, come to Egypt during the famine? And he tells Pharaoh, they're shepherds. And the reason he tells Pharaoh that is because Pharaoh can't stand shepherds, and he's going to put them out in another part of Egypt where they could have their own area what was called the land of Goshen. And so shepherds were thought better of, at least in Jewish circles, in the Old Testament, but their status had come down quite a bit by the time Jesus arrives on the scene. By the time Jesus is born, in general, they were considered second class. They were considered untrustworthy. Um, shepherding um, wasn't considered socially acceptable. If you were born into a shepherd's family, you were considered cursed. That you were born into a shepherd's family. Matter of fact, some rabbis even sat around and pondered 
and tried to figure out and solve the dilemma of Psalm 23, God being referred to as a shepherd because they hated shepherds so much. The religious leaders maligned shepherds' good names. Matter of fact, rabbis banned pasturing of sheep and goats in general in certain places in Israel. They were only given certain fields they were allowed to actually pasture, have the sheep pasturing in. In one passage in the Mishnah, we read that shepherds were considered incompetent. And no one should feel obligated to rescue a shepherd if he falls into a pit. That was what the rabbis were teaching. If a shepherd falls into a pit, don't worry about him. There's been other documents discovered from that time period that shows that many shepherds were deprived of their civil rights. They didn't have a full judicial hearing whenever they were wronged. Shepherds were the lowest of the low. Only slaves were worse than shepherds. This is what it was written in one of the Jewish documents from the day. It said, to buy wool, milk, or a kid from a shepherd is forbidden on the assumption that it's stolen property. So shepherds were not viewed very well. They were the lowest. They were the weakest. And they were the most despised people of the day. And that's who God invites to his red carpet ceremony, to his arrival. That's who's invited. That's who the announcement is made to. The weakest. Because that's how God likes to work. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. That's God's pattern all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture. Joseph was the smallest, the weakest of his brothers. God chooses him. Moses was weak. He couldn't speak to Pharaoh. It was his brother Aaron who was the better speaker, but God chose him. Gideon was a judge, and he said, I'm the least of my tribe, I'm the least of my clan, and God chose him. David, when Samuel went to choose a king, David wasn't the strongest, the tallest, the handsomest. It was his brothers, but instead God chose David, because that's how God likes to work. He takes the things that we despise, the things we consider unimportant, and he says, that's who I'm going to use. And that's exactly what he did here. And that pattern is seen over and over and over again in Scripture. So first we see the audience here of the arrival of the king are these weak, lowly, despised shepherds. And then comes the announcement. The most important announcement in the universe. Verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The glory of the Lord shone. This was an announcement. It was a glorious announcement. God's own presence lit up the night. And these poor shepherds were filled with fear. I want to think about how we celebrate Christmas. And we we do Advent and we lead up to the Christ candle. We do lots of things to to try to bring our focus to Christ. But one of the things I asked myself as I was reading this passage today, I was thinking, how much fear do I have of the Lord at Christmas time? Do I sense that awe and that heavy presence of God? Man, what has God done here? The Word has become flesh. That's the greatest miracle in the history of 
of the universe. That's the greatest miracle that, that God Himself, God becomes flesh. And do I feel the awe of that? It's easy to, to look at the little pictures of baby Jesus and have warm, fuzzy feelings at Christmas time. But how many of us sit and meditate upon the majesty and the glory of what Christ accomplished, what God accomplished in the manger? And think about that and let the awe of that just settle on us. And fear like the shepherds did. You see, the shepherds saw the glory of God. When we really look at the Scriptures and think about what Christ did, what God did by sending Christ as a baby, the glory of that truth should overwhelm us. And we should be filled with awe and fear and reverence for God. Christ, the Messiah, the promised one had come. And so there's a sign. What is this sign that they would find a baby wrapped up in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. What a sign. What a humbling sign. Because we like the spectacular signs. Wouldn't it have been better? I mean, if the angels come, they tell the shepherds, oh, he's in a palace. It's lined with gold. You'll see it. You'll see it shining. Just go down there. You see, I think our pictures of Christmas with the, with the star shining down and just the bright and the halo on Jesus and the halo on Mary and the halo on the whole manger scene there and it's just kind of glowing in the middle of the night, I don't think that's it at all. It was smelly, dirty, yucky, and the sign is that there's a baby wrapped up in cloth lying in it. What? In a manger? That's the sign. Go find it. And so they went and they found this very unusual, this humbling sign. So the audience was the smelly, dirty, despised shepherd. The sign was this, was this smelly, despised location. That was the announcement that Jesus was to be born. He had been born and he was there. And then after the announcement comes the anthem. This glorious praise. The angels appear and we hear this amazing anthem that they sing. I believe they were singing. Because glory revealed necessitates praise given. When glory is revealed, as it has been here, the angels say, this is what God has done. When glory is revealed, praise is necessary. The angels can't help themselves. They all show up and say, we got to praise God on high. When glory is revealed, praise happens. Praise happens. I think, Mark, you should make a t-shirt that says praise happens. When glory is revealed, praise happens. And so the glory of God has been revealed in this amazing announcement to this humble audience. And the angels sing this glorious anthem. It says in verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This, I believe, is the first Christmas carol right here. The first Christmas song ever sung. We sing a lot of familiar songs today, and this was the first one. Okay, we went caroling the other night. I didn't get to go, but a lot of you guys went caroling the other night. It's a lot of fun to sing songs about Jesus. Maybe you're in the minority. I think you are in the minority here. I love Christmas songs. Now, some of you out there just can't stand Christmas songs. You don't like that the fish only plays Christmas songs. And you, you turn it off, and you just don't like Christmas songs, okay? Heather will tell you she just doesn't like Christmas songs that very much, but I love them. I love them. And here we have the very first one. Well, 
it may be a song. The text doesn't say that they sang. Matter of fact, I was telling Dad about what I was thinking about speaking on today, and he was sharing with me this little story I didn't know about the writing of, of the hymn that we sang called Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Does anyone here know who wrote that hymn? Mark, you're on the spot. Mendelssohn wrote the music. That was about uh, 100 years later. Who wrote the lyrics, the song? Anybody? Wow. Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley wrote this hymn. A matter of fact, he wanted it to be a very slow, somber song, so he would not have liked your arrangement, Mark. All right? With the drums back there. No, that, that would have sent Wesley over the edge. Say, but he wrote the song, but... He didn't, he's not the one who had it published. Actually, Charles Whitfield had it published. He took the song and had it published. But before he, before he published it, he changed some words in it. And Wesley didn't know about it until after it was published. You see, um, it says that, uh, that Wesley had written it to say this. Hark how all the welkin rings glory to the king of kings. Hark how all the welkin rings Glory to the King of Kings. He didn't put song in there because he says there's no evidence that they're actually singing. They're just proclaiming. But Whitfield changed it. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. I'm with Whitfield. I think they're singing. I'm with Whitfield in a lot of ways over Wesley. But I'm with Whitfield here. I think they're singing. They're singing. And so let's look at this anthem. Glory to God. Glory to God in the highest. The cradle and the cross are designed to bring glory to God above all else. God is to be magnified at Christmas time above everything else. Matter of fact, God is to be magnified at all time of your life above everything else. We were created to bring God glory. We're created to give Him glory and enjoy Him forever. That's what we're created for. And so here they're saying glory to God in the highest. Everything about Christmas is to point towards Christ toward the glory of God. So we do Advent, but even the Christmas tree, and there's so many different symbols that we have. All these symbols should be designed to bring glory to God. And if for some reason you've lost track of that, then I challenge you, as I did a few weeks ago, to redeem it. Redeem the symbols of Christmas because they're not to give glory to consumerism. They're not to give glory to us. They're not to give glory towards presence. They're not to give glory towards children, or even glory toward good feelings and loving your fellow mankind. Christmas is about bringing glory to Christ. Glory to God on the highest. And on earth, peace. And on earth, peace. What kind of peace? God, Jesus, came to bring peace, but what kind of peace? It says, among those with whom he is pleased. What is that? What is that? Among who, those with whom he's pleased. Or it may, in your translation, say, among those on whom his favor rests. That's a, those are correct translations. If it just says peace on earth, it's an incorrect translation. Because it says peace to those with whom he is pleased. What's that all about? Friends, let me just tell you, that is the gospel. That is the gospel. Who is God at peace with? Those with whom he is pleased. And who does he find pleasing? It's not that God is some arbitrary God up there just 
okay, I'll be at peace with you and peace with you and peace with you, just sort of being at peace with whomever he wants, but there is a holy and just God who can only be at peace with certain people. God can only be at peace, ultimately, who is he at peace with? He's at peace with his own son, Jesus Christ, and he's at peace with all those who are in Jesus Christ. Who is he at peace with? Who, who does his favor rest upon? His favor rests upon his son and all those who are in the son. This is the gospel in this song. God did come to bring peace. I've heard people quote this song, quote this and say, ah, see, it wasn't true. He didn't bring peace on earth. Matter of fact, he got killed in the most violent of manners. What are you talking about? And there's been wars. There were wars then. There's continuing wars and there's wars now. What are you talking about, peace on earth? How on earth did Jesus bring peace on earth? The way Jesus brought peace on earth is simply this, that he brought us into peace with God because we were all at war with God because of our sin. And therefore, we've been brought at peace with God through Jesus Christ and only through Jesus Christ. And then there's a peace within Peace with God, peace within, and we can have peace with others because of Jesus Christ. And one day when he returns, we will have final and full peace in the new heavens and the new earth. But we are all at war with God. Romans 5.10 says that before Christ does a work in our heart that we're enemies of God. We're rebels. We love the world, according to James 4, and that makes us enemies of God. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we all deserve God's just wrath. Because we're sinners, we deserve death. We deserve eternal separation, eternal torment. Because our sin, even one small sin, is an eternal offense to an eternally perfect and holy God. It doesn't take a lifetime of sin to deserve an eternity of hell. It takes one. Because any sin is an infinite offense to an infinitely holy God. The wages of sin is death, according to Romans 6.23. And only Jesus can bring us peace. Only Jesus can bring us peace with God. That's why the angel said, peace with whom his favor rests, which is in Jesus. And then those who believe in Jesus, who trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior, are brought into the family of God through Jesus because of what he's done. It says in Romans 6.23, if we continue the verse that I read a minute ago, the gift of God is eternal life. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5, 8. In the few verses that follow say this. God shows his love for us in this. That while we were what? Still sinners. Not while we had figured our act together. Not when we became religious. Not when we started doing good things. It says while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath the wrath of God. Verse 10. For if while we were enemies, you, when I said a minute ago that we were enemies of God, if you think that's too harsh language, you don't need to talk to me. You need to talk to Paul. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Saved by his life. Not by ours. Saved by his life. With whom God's favor rests. Jesus. His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. 
We've been made right with God through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.18 And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin. Who? Jesus. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The peace of God that the angels speak of is peace due to a divine exchange. That when Jesus died on that cross, and then he rose again, that all those who place their hope, all their faith, all their trust in Jesus Christ alone have received payment for their sin. Their sin has been erased by Jesus Christ himself. He took the brunt of God's wrath on the cross. And in, your, in place of that, he's given you his righteousness. So that when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ, the perfection of Christ, if you've come to him in faith. Colossians 1.20 says, And through him, God, he says, And God through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's the gospel. That's what the angels were proclaiming. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the angels proclaimed. It's a glorious truth. That's what the cradle was all about. The hallmark moment at the cradle is the first step on the road toward a horrible moment on the cross and the hallelujah truth of the resurrection. Don't separate them. So this was the first Christmas carol. The first Christmas carol. That's what they proclaimed, glory to God. That's why we proclaim it too. So there was this audience of weak, lowly shepherds. There was this announcement that salvation had come. There was this anthem of the gospel. And then there was astonishment. Luke 2, 15 and following, as we finish the passage, it says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known to them the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. Maybe they were singing the same Christmas carol over and over again. That's the first Christmas caroling right there. They're running through Bethlehem, singing this angelic song. They returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Friends, we have to realize that we're the shepherds. We're weak, smelly, nasty because of our sin. But God loves to take what's weak and bring glory to him through weakness. We're weak. 
chosen by God to hear this tremendous revelation. And what we've seen and what we've heard and what we've experienced, we are to make it known. Let all who hear it wonder in amazement and let us glorify God. Will you help make the announcement along with the shepherds? We don't have a red carpet. Jesus doesn't have an Air Force One. But he has his people to announce Christ has arrived. The Savior has arrived. What you've been searching for, that hole in your heart, God has sent the one, the only one who can fill that hole. God has done it. Let these words that the angels proclaim be repeated in us over and over and over again as we tell the greatest story ever told. I want us to bow our heads and pray. Then we're going to conclude with a special song tonight and a special thing I want all of us to participate in as we respond. But let's bow our heads and close our eyes right now. Heavenly Father, I praise you and thank you that that you do choose the weak. And God, everyone in here has to come to that point to when they realize that they cannot do this on their own. That heaven is not some accomplishable task that we can put on our to-do list. That being right with you, God, is not something that we can somehow work out in time so long as we do as many better good things, more good things than we do bad things. God, help us to understand that we are filthy. Filthy with sin, just as these shepherds were filthy with dirt. That we, we stink to your nostrils in our sin. Because you can't stand sin. It's an offense to you. Just as the smell of these stinky shepherds was an offense to anyone who came up to them. God, if we don't embrace that, if we don't embrace our lost condition, if we don't embrace our weakness, then we can never know the glory of the cross, never know the glory of the manger, never understand at all what the angels were proclaiming. So God, in this room here tonight, if there's anyone here that is putting their hope in themselves, putting their hope in their own ability to be right with you, to do the right things, to say the right things, to parent the right way, God, may we lay it all down and just acknowledge our weakness and on bended knee come and say, Christ, reign over me. Rule in my heart. If there's anyone here that's never professed Christ as Lord, then God, I pray that today that they would speak to Deemer or I or one of the members of this church and just talk to them about that, ask questions about that. God, I thank you, Lord, that when I was a young man, that I experienced the divine exchange. That I gave up trying to be good enough and recognized that Christ was my only way. And I accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life and trusting, putting all my hope in Him, believing what the Bible says, that He bore my sins and embraced His gift, His Christmas gift, which was His perfect life. So God, I pray, Lord, tonight, if there be anyone here that has questions about these things, these glorious mysteries that the angels proclaimed thousands of years ago and that the church is still to proclaim today, Lord, that they'd speak to somebody. And Lord, for those here who are Christians, Lord, it's so easy at this Christmas season to just drift off into the um, familiar. But God, help us to realize we're weak every day and we need your grace to sustain us each day as well. 
And God, help us to point our families toward the cross at Christmas time, because ultimately that's what it's all about. So God, we give you all the glory and all the praise, and we say all this, and we pray all this in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, from whom, through whom, and to whom are all things, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Mark's going to lead us in a, Mark and his praise team are going to lead us in a in silent night. And this is what we're going to do here tonight as we sing Silent Night. As families, I'd like for you to, uh, as we begin to sing, just go ahead and get out of your seats. And we're going to make a line over here at the Advent uh, table right here. And over here are a bunch of um, small candles for us. And I'm just going to ask the parents, okay? I'm sorry, kids, but just the parents, okay, to get a candle for your family. Okay, you get two candles, both parents. And we want to light our candles from the Christ candle here right in the center. And as we're singing Silent Night, make your way back to your seat. And we'll finish singing the song. And then we're going to go out silently. We're going to walk outside. There's another container. You can drop this in, blow it out, and then drop it in the container out there. So Mark's going to lead us in Silent Night. As he leads us, I invite you to come, light your candles. Let's carry the light of Christ with us tonight. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin mother and child, holy infant so
simply a symbol um, representing the light of Christ. But I hope if you are here tonight that you are a Christian. If you're not, I would love to talk to you about that. But if you're a Christian, then you bear the light of Christ in your own heart. And you're to take it and to shine it all over the world. And now I want to pray and we'll simply leave quietly thinking about the cross and the cradle as we leave. And you can leave your candles out there. And please hang around in fellowship out in the foyer or back in here when we're done. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for all the amazing, wonderful memories I have of Christmas. So much fun. Father, I cannot remember hardly a single gift my parents ever got me, to be honest. And so I'm thankful that my mom and my dad shared Christ with me because I'll never be snatched from your hand now. So God, I praise you and thank you for all you do. Pray that Christ will be exalted in our homes this evening as we go, tomorrow as we celebrate Christmas, but then every day of the year as we live for him. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May be dismissed.